Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. Thank you to everyone who uh, joined us today. It's good to see all of you and those of y'all watching online. I, uh, I did want to, I didn't do justice to my neighborhood Clifton announcement, so I got to add two things. First, the first time neighborhood Clifton happened, part of the idea was that we were going to uh, not have service and go serve out in the community. But the Ministerial Alliance decided, because it's been for a lot of churches so hard for people to be together, we are going to have services that morning. And then we're going to meet in the park for lunch. And then we're going to disperse from there and serve after lunch, rather than what happened last time where it was serving up until lunch. This will be serving after lunch. Um, and another thing I wanted to say is we're going to have lots of activities people can help with. Lawn care. We've got some ideas of maybe setting up some grills and grilling burgers in some of the lower economic areas of town. Uh, putting flowers and doing things at the Sunset Living Home or by the Housing Authority. Some, also some indoor things. And so if you think, well, I don't know how I could help with I can almost guarantee you there will be something where any one of you could help in some form or another. So don't let the job or the task keep you from volunteering. We've been going through this series called The Test. And uh, I will say I've enjoyed it. And it's also been a challenge for me because on one hand, I've really enjoyed tracing this thread through scripture. And on another hand, it's been uncomfortable for me because it's not easy talking about trials and tests. And it's not easy... It's, e- it's easy when you just talk about it like a blank thing. Like, oh, let's talk about tests. But it's not easy when you think about the people that you care about that are watching or sitting here that are going through tests and what this, these messages mean for them. And that's where it's tough. But what we've done is we've looked through and we've traced different tests and choices and temptations that people have faced throughout Scripture. We looked at Adam and Eve with their choice of choosing between the two trees. We looked at Abraham and Isaac and his test looked at the people of Israel, we looked at Jesus, and we talked, and the hope that I have throughout this series is that, above all, you take away that we are now defined by the fact that Christ passed the test, and He was faithful to the test, and therefore His faithfulness and His righteousness covers us, even when we sometimes don't pass the test. But this last sermon in this series, and next week, I'm really excited, we're going to be talking about my, my favorite Old Testament book, Maybe my third favorite book of the whole Bible. We're going to be doing a short series on Ruth starting next week. But um, one of the things that I think is really crucial as we, we go through this is we think about that the New Testament authors, they believed and realized that even after Christ left, we still all are going to face choices. And we still all as Christians are going to have tests and things that come into our reality. Even though Christ passed the ultimate test, we still face them. And that's kind of where I want to focus this last uh, lesson. But before I get to that, I'm going to make a metaphor that I think is going to... I've been excited about saving this one. All right. Look at those two people. Anybody recognize them? I know they look way different now. Hopefully not that different. But um, uh, that's Catherine and I on our wedding day at Brazos Springs in uh, Angleton, Texas. Our church was being renovated, and so uh, we had it at this wedding venue. And uh, it was a wonderful day. I'm blessed to say I'm one of those people where my wedding day was a great day. I know some people it's a very stressful, all sorts of things go wrong. We did plan on having it outdoors. And the night before it rained like cats and dogs. And so they got out there and uh, uh, the chairs were going to sink into the mud. And so we decided to move it inside. Huge 
blessing. It was really hot outside that day. It was May 23rd. Like when we took our pictures, we had to like pat Catherine down with a towel like every 10 minutes. Um, it was incredibly hot and humid outside. So it was a blessing that it ended up being inside. We moved it inside. But here's what uh, something that I would like to tell y'all. When I look at that picture, one thing I think is that when, when I see that Drew, that Drew was one of the worst that was when I was the worst husband I've ever been. Now you're probably thinking like, oh no, what did you do? Oh no, did you mess up that day? Or did you? I actually thought I did a pretty good job that day. Um, but what I've realized is that part of being married is that marriage is a refining experience. It is something where you are continually being shaped into a better and better spouse. And so I say that, saying that that's the worst I've been, is because my hope is, is that each and every month, each and every week, each and every year, I am getting better at being a husband. And so let me give you uh, some examples. I, I've never been one of those people that when I, I've only done two weddings, but I've never been one of those people that's like, all right, you two, just wait. It's going to get rough. You know, <laughs> buckle up. I don't really like when preachers do that. It's kind of like, okay, let's, uh, let's stay positive here. Um, but I do know, and many of us know, that that can be a, a challenging adjustment for a lot of people, a, uh, an experience where it's difficult to realize some things that are, you didn't necessarily expect were going to be challenges. And I thought when I got married, it was going to be one of those things where 50% of the time, Catherine did something that kind of annoyed me, and 50% of the time, I did something that kind of annoyed her. And I learned with marriage, I do something that annoys her like 95% of the time. <laughs> And 5% of the time, maybe, she does something that bothers me. I'm not even joking. I, there's so many days where I'm like, man, Catherine's just, like, the best. And she doesn't really, like, do anything that, like, really rubs me wrong. But when we were first married, it was like, okay, most of our things that we got to work on are because I need to work on something, right? And I'm, I'm kind of being serious. Um, I'm very serious. But uh, one of the things that I remember, and this is just an example of one of our, uh, and I'm not even going to say argument. We, we've been blessed that we don't really have a ton of arguments but one of our things that was a, one of those not as happy evenings, let's put it like that, was because I had come home and I had told her I was really frustrated about something. And I said, yeah, I called my dad and we were talking. And, and Catherine, when she's upset, she goes quiet, completely quiet. I don't know how many of you are like that. Normally, that's a guy thing, just so you know. Normally, when people get upset, guys get quiet and, and ladies don't. But Catherine gets quiet. I don't, obviously. I just talk all the time. But I said, I kind of was like, hey, are you okay? And uh, she did the, oh, okay. <laughs> we are not okay. Code red. You know? Said, no, seriously, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, and uh, you've, you've been there before. You've seen that where it's kind of like, okay, she's saying she's fine, but she's not. And what I found out later was that, and I'm very close with my parents, very close with my dad and my mom. She, I found out that she did not like that when I had something big happen and something that really upset me, that on the way home I called my dad and didn't talk to her first about it. And for me, I didn't even think about that. But you know what? For her, it was something that bothered her. And I remember whenever she, you know, I would kind of finally drug it out of her, she kind of said something, and this would happen frequently. She would say, you know, I, I don't want you to apologize because you didn't really do anything wrong. And I feel like I'm being petty or I feel like I'm being immature by even bringing this up. She would say that. She'd say, like, I don't know why I'm reacting like this. But it, it, and what I would say every time is I would say, Catherine, I need you to tell me every time something like this happens because if there's plenty of times where I might even realize I'm doing anything. And if you tell me, I can actually work on that. I can improve that. If you don't tell me, then, you know, 10 times later, you're going to be like, that's it. 
if you don't fold the socks right one more time, and I'll be like, oh, I didn't even realize I wasn't folding the socks right. Whereas if the first time she goes, hey, if you could fold the socks like this, I'd be like, oh, sure, no problem, okay. You know, it's easy then. And here's where I'm gonna draw this into uh, our talk and where this analogy matters. But if my mindset as a husband is the second we get married, her job is to make me happy. And if my mindset as a husband is the second we get married, her job is to serve me hand and foot and to worship me and do everything I ask her to do, then yes, every single time she brings up something that she's not happy about, it's going to be annoying. It's going to be like, ugh, Catherine, don't you realize your job is to make me happy? Like every time you bring up one of these things, it's not making me happy. But if I reframe my purpose as a husband, and thankfully this is kind of where I was from the beginning. But if I reframe my purpose as a husband to being better and better at serving her and better and better at loving her and taking care of her, then every time one of these things comes up, it is not a, oh man, she's just ruining my night. I just wanted to sit here, watch the Cowboys lose. And if, if she does, if, if, but if my purpose is that I want her to be happy, then it reframes it towards like, thank you for telling me so that I have an opportunity to get better at serving you, to get better at loving you. Okay, you, you got the analogy? All right, hold on to it. What does this have to do with our text from James? Hopefully you're gonna see, and hopefully it's gonna help us as we read this passage from James verse one, or chapter one, verses two through four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. By the way, this word trials is that word that I mentioned it's that Greek word that sometimes in the Bible it's translated trials, sometimes it's translated tests, sometimes it's translated temptations. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance or endurance. Let perseverance or endurance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. The moment, this is something James knows, he's writing to these Christians, he knows that the moment you decide to follow Jesus is the moment you should expect for trials and tests to begin in your life. It's just like whenever you start a project at your house. How many of you have been like, oh, hey, it's going to, you know, it's only going to cost 50 bucks to change this thing in the kitchen sink. And then you get under the kitchen sink and your wife goes, you spent $300 at Ace? Or you, how did this happen? It's like, well... I thought I would just get started on this, but I didn't realize that when I opened it up, this needed to be changed. And this needed to be, the second you begin something like that, you, you always are like, oh man, I, I've got all these things I've got to ad address that I didn't even expect. And the same thing is true when you become a Christian. You think, oh, I'm starting here. And then all of a sudden, you begin this life of following Christ, and you're, I didn't even realize I have to start being you know, loving and forgiving. All these things that I didn't really pay attention to, but now I do. Now I've, I've got all these choices that I didn't have before. My choices before were, what makes me happy? Oh, okay, I'm going to do that. And now I'm a Christian. Now I'm following Christ. And there's a whole lot more choices, a whole lot more tests with it. James believed that all of Jesus' followers should see themselves as following in Christ's steps. For James, this means facing our tests of faith about the knowledge of good and bad. Remember, I started from the beginning with Adam and Eve. Their question was, are you going to eat from the tree of life and trust God's will, or are you going to choose for yourself? And we have that choice and that question too. Like Adam and Eve, like Abraham and Sarah, Moses and the Israelites, Jesus himself, we will face tests of our faith as we follow God. And James tells us this thing that we've always, I've always just struggled with, that we should celebrate those moments. And we should learn to look at them with joy. 
And last week, I kind of began this process of talking about Christian joy and how Christian joy is not the same as what we think of with earthly joy. We think of earthly joy as bouncing off the walls and that's you're joyful. And I tried to establish that's, that's probably uh, that's a shallow view of joy or, or a, frankly, a wrong view of Christian joy. When a Christian is tested, we've got to realize that this is what James means when he, James, well, I believe this is a way to look at what James means whenever he says that we should consider it joy. When a Christian is tested, it shows that something real is going on, that this is serious, that this is important. If a girl, if Landry Joe someday brings home a boy to meet me, I know it's serious because she brought him home. If she said, well, there's this boy I like, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, okay, well, my ears are perked up. But if she comes home from college someday, brings home a boy, it's serious. And when I ask them questions, him questions, like with a lie detector, no, I'm just kidding. But when I ask him questions, it's not because I'm trying to see him fail. It's because I care so much about him being someone I want Landry Joe to marry. Because I care so much about it. There are many kinds of tests that we face. Actual persecution, which many of us don't necessarily face today as far as like being beaten and hurt, but we do face persecution today in different kinds. We also, there are tests like physical sickness or bereavement, family or financial troubles and so on. But you wouldn't be tested unless it was something that mattered. Mechanics don't test scrap metal. They test cars because they care about cars taking care of people. There are jobs where it takes a year of testing to be allowed to do that. And then there are jobs like heart surgeons where it takes, I don't know, like 12 years to be a heart surgeon. I mean, maybe it's only six, but I'm sure it feels like 12. But though that is where it is more important because the seriousness of what we care about them being able to do. Those who follow Jesus, the Messiah, are not simply supposed to just exist. I'm like, oh, well, I'm, I'm just existing here. But we are supposed to have a task we're supposed to count to make a difference in the world. Christ wants to partner with us. God wants to partner with us to make a difference in the world. And he has an important job for us. Whether that important job is a quiet daily witness to be faithful, or whether it's for some to, to speak and to act in ways boldly that reveal the gospel, both are just as much important tasks. The quiet life of a sweet third grade teacher witnessing to her classroom or someone who's a missionary in another country. All of those tasks are important to what Christ is trying to do and therefore important tasks have seriousness, have tests involved in them. For all that we need to become to face up to the challenge of being Christians, we have to realize that tests are inevitable. And instead of looking at them as, oh no, I hope that doesn't happen, we get to look at them and say, this test is going to help me be more mature as a Christian. So here's where I'm going to connect this a little bit with my conversation with Catherine and what I was using with my analogy with Catherine. When the winds of turbulation come through our marriage, I get an opportunity to look at that and go, there are going to be some parts of my life that are going to blow off like chaff in the wind. But the stuff that matters is going to stay. And I want to be the husband that stays as the other stuff gets blown away. I want to be more and more refined into a better and better person and husband for Catherine. And that's going to be difficult and that's going to be painful at times. But if my goal and my focus is on that, 
then every time I see our discussions in that light, I'm grateful for them at the end of the day because I know, you know what? Would I rather die and everyone sit in my funeral and be like, he was kind of a lousy husband. Yeah, he was kind of a mm, father. Uh, he kind of just, would I like that? Or would I like her to bring up things to me where she says, hey, you know when you come home and you sit down and you just immediately get on your phone? That's being a bad husband. Do I enjoy hearing that in the moment? Of course not. But do I enjoy being better at being a better husband for her? Of course I do. And that does not happen without the refinement from her. And this is the same. This is true for our tests and the things that we go through in life as Christians. Of course we don't like them in the moment. Of course when we're experiencing them, it's really easy to be like, why is this happening? But when we reframe our hope in the fact that, as it says here, it says, because the testing produces your, or the, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. If my goal is to persevere as a Christian long term, to have a faithfulness in God throughout my life, then I'm grateful because I know that when the chaff comes, I'm able to be better and more refined to being able to do that. I think about, and this is a, an analogy that I mentioned in Wednesday night class, but I think about whenever my mom, when I was going through something difficult, my mom would try and you know, pick me up, make me feel better. I'm, I'm really frustrated by something and she'd try and counsel me. And I would always think in the moment, okay, mom, you're supposed to say that, you're my mom. You know? Now, thankfully, I'm blessed that I had a mom who said that. But I would in that moment just be like, it felt empty. It felt like it didn't really make sense. But then usually after the fact, and even now as an adult, when I hear those words, I'm grateful because I think, you know, my mom was right. In that moment, it was hard to hear. But my mom was speaking a truth to me. And this is how I feel about passages like this. When we read about 1 Peter last week, talking about the refining fire of our faith. When we read James talking about being joyful in persecution. When Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When, when these things are said in the moment of those persecutions, I know it's like me saying, you, you have to say that, James, Peter, you're supposed to say that. It doesn't really help much. But when we step back from that moment and when we look back, we're able to say, you know what? I do see how in that refining, I was able to get rid of the things that didn't matter as much. And I was able to focus more on the things that do matter. I want to make, I think, one last analogy. When I was in Katie during Hurricane Harvey, and this analogy doesn't work perfectly, I can't tell you the number of people that were able to step back after the flood and able to say, I can't tell you the number of things that, that were better in my life after the flood because I immediately realized that all my stuff really doesn't matter that much. Would they enjoy, and like I said, the, the metaphor only goes so far, but would they enjoy experiencing a flood of losing everything in their house? Of course not. Of course, as they're standing there knee deep in water, they're like, this is the worst. Why is this happening? But months later, when they said, you know, I didn't know any of my neighbors, and now me and all my neighbors have dinner together once a month. Or, you know, I used to think that if my golf clubs got dust on them, I was going to lose my mind. And now I don't care if I have golf clubs or not. They would say that that refining experience led them to a place of, you know what, I see what's more important. You know what? I have a deeper level of trust, a deeper, deeper level of surrender. So James says that we should reframe our tests and hardships because they offer us an opportunity. We should reframe and see them as an opportunity to deepen our trust in God and our own character. Each and every one of us is going to face doors in our life and choices. 
and tests where we don't like being there, but we remind ourselves, I have an opportunity before me to look at this and say, I'm going to trust God's will or I'm going to choose for myself what I think is right and wrong. And in every one of those opportunities, you have a chance to deepen your trust, to deepen your spiritual maturity. I, there were one of the ladies from church, I'm not going to mention who because I didn't ask her permission, but she was talking to me before ladies Bible class in my office. And she was saying something along the lines of, I don't know how I'm going to make it through the next four years, referring to the presidency. And I said something along the lines of, well, you know, I feel like there's, my whole life, there's kind of been a trend of half the country doesn't know how they're going to make it for the next four years, and the other half the country doesn't know how they're going to make it the next four years. And, and that's always happened, and it always will happen. That's kind of what I said. And what she said was, she said, you know what, I have learned that whenever I get to these moments where I just say, I don't know how we're going to make it, I just have to give it over to God. And I remember thinking, bingo, that's the test, that's the choice. When we're going through the thing, the test, the difficulty, the persecution, we don't know how we're going to get out of it. Isn't it a perseverance of our faith? Isn't it a good thing whenever we're able to say, you know what, time out. I just have to realize all I can do is trust him. All I can do is look to him and lean on him because he's the one that's going to be able to be above all of this. And isn't that a place where we want to be? I know I do. I know I want to be at a place where at the end of the day, I just am able to say, God, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know why it looks like this, but I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose to eat from the tree of life and to choose to follow you, even though I don't understand it or I don't realize why it's happening. As we encounter these tests, we can trust in the goodness of the one who is testing us. God has our best interests in mind, and he offers us opportunities, not traps, but opportunities to strengthen and refine us. And even when we choose the wrong door, even when we don't pass the test, we can be patient because there's this last part of this that I love. This last verse of verse 4. Let the endurance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It doesn't say, let you have to finish. Now, yes, he wants us to finish, and he wants us to run the race. But the idea is, and it's true throughout Scripture, when we choose to have a relationship with Christ, he's going to be the one that makes sure that the refining experience finishes and is complete. The one who called you, remember there the, the, there's many Scriptures that talk about, he that began a good work in you, he will see it to completion. He will make sure that that perseverance and that refinement happens. The one who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. So my encouragement to you is to choose in your tests, both to, to choose the right door and to realize that part of the test isn't picking the right door or not as much as it is choosing to say, God, I don't know what door to choose, but I'm picking you and I'm trusting you and I'm going to let my hope and trust in you see this out through completion. God is faithful and is at work to see our salvation all the way home, and he will surely accomplish it. If any of you would like to know what it looks like to have a relationship with Christ, we'd love to talk to you now. We'd love to talk with you about, if, you're, if you need prayers and you'd like to discuss um, how to, to deal with your trials that you're going with, and you want someone to, to walk alongside you in that, we have so many people here who would love to do that. Um, if you would uh, come, or um, Butch will be in the prayer room if you'd like to talk to him privately um, as we stand and we sing this song.